Not really, people ask the question uh, regarding practice, how, how do I actually let go, is, is the perceived wish or need to let go, and yet we regularly feel unable to let go. And I read the Buddhist teachings and clearly and precisely pointed out how clinging is the cause of suffering. And we do a little meditation practice and and we pretty quickly get to see that this really is the case, that we have these habits of clinging that keep tripping us up all the time and we can get the feeling that that we should let go reminds me of a a song from the late 60s (laughs) I don't know a lot of you guys weren't around but it was the uh, the mamas and the papas (laughs) look through my window and there's a there's a refrain in there that says and I know I should let go. And I remember, I think I was about eighteen or nineteen when I heard that, and and it was a real, uh, a real inspiration for me to get into something. It really rang true. I, I was, uh, I was going through. A, it wasn't exactly the epiphany, but it was a period of uh, deep inquiry and uh, on various levels. And anyway, they always rang. That's always rung true to me. And and I. So I'm familiar with this question that people ask, you know, how do I do it? How do I let go? And we get stuck on memories, things that have clearly finished and gone. Mm. They may well have been very painful memories, painful things that, that have happened in the past. And, and so if only I could let go of this, or preoccupations with the future. Mm got something coming up with it, something pleasant or something unpleasant. Mm. There's pleasant fantasy of, you know, only one more week at work and then I can be off to La Gomera and then just be so beautiful there. And there's that particular beach that I know in La Gomera, which the rain, it never rains there and, and it's just, it'd be so wonderful and, and we can meditate and our mind can become preoccupied with it or not just in meditation but in work and mind can get totally obsessed with these beautiful things that are going to happen in the future and meanwhile we're not here with what's happening now and, and it can be painful, it can create problems for us. Not to mention unpleasant things in the future like the fear of loss. This is not even things that are going to happen but just things that might happen like the suffering that parents have with with children, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and 
they worry themselves sick with the horrible possibilities that things that might occur in the future. Right now, these great little kids are just having a marvelous time and being beautiful and lovely, and and yet poor mum or dad is you know, tearing their hair out with anxiety about, well, what if this happens and what if that happens and. And you know these are dedicated Buddhist mums and dads, and uh, and well, I know I should let go. I mean, I pay due concern to it. I teach them the best I can and protect them the best I can. But this worrying is not doing any good. I know I should let go, but I can't do it. Or concerns with the body. You know, the, it's uh, it's easy to get obsessed with with our bodies, I and mean, there's no doubt about it, we're all, bodies are all getting older, and it's sensible to pay due respect, and to eat a good diet, and to sleep regularly, and so on and so forth, but you know, a few little things start going wrong, and you, know, you get a little lump, and you think, oh my goodness, it's a, I've got cancer, and rush off to the doctor, and there's no, nothing to worry about, and you come back, and we can worry about these things endlessly and then feel ashamed about it. But what is it that makes the difference? What is it that actually enables letting go? Just saying we should let go doesn't do it. In my early years as a monk, I know Ajahn Chah used to teach about letting go all the time. And then the other senior Western monks would copy Ajahn Chah, and whatever you came up with, you know, you'd ask a question, and you'd say, "Well, just let go, just, just let go." So you just, just do it, as if it was something you can do as an act of will, and as if I was purposely hanging on to something. Well, you know, we all know that we want to let go, and so just telling ourselves we should let go doesn't do it. And that's important to notice that. Idealizing about how we should be is uh, is not always very helpful. We know how we should be, so that's good enough. So we can just drop that and, and then get on with looking a little deeper and and feeling, you know, uh, how can I how can I bring this about? Why am I hanging on? What's the experience of clinging anyway? Well, now we're talking, and this is what the encouragement of mindfulness is about: is to not just speculate how we should or shouldn't be, but to cultivate a quality of attention that's in the moment, actually investigating the reality of our experience. That you know, the only reason that we're clinging is because we don't see that the clinging is making us suffer. You know, the Buddha said, "There are two reasons why you stay stuck in this miserable affair: not not seeing suffering and not seeing the causes of suffering." So that alone, just two reasons, not not eighty four thousand reasons. It's not very complicated. It's, it's, there's two reasons why you stay stuck in this miserable affair: not seeing suffering and not seeing the cause of suffering. So a lot of the time we're getting around trying to avoid suffering, pretending we're not suffering when we are on various levels, in you know, subtle or gross ways of fear and anxiety, worry and doubt, and regret and remorse and so on. But even if we acknowledge that we're suffering. We, we, it's not so easy and straightforward to see what the cause is. So some of the habits that we have are 
are very strongly embedded. The habit of, of blaming is one. We, we haven't really been challenged in that domain of our life. We can just you know, always react to the feeling of suffering like it's somebody else's fault. So, even though we know this is the case, it's actually very easy to fall into it. And it's, it's one of the reasons why it's easy to blame people is because it's so difficult to actually admit that we're doing it. And so we just keep on with this habit of, of thinking, well, it's, it's somebody else, it's something out there. It's got to be something out there that's causing this. Because it's so painful. I'm not such a bad person. I mean, only a bad person would make me suffer like this. So it, must, it can't be me. Well, bad news, I'm afraid. <laughs> You know, you don't have to be a bad person to, to make yourself suffer. All you got to do is just be a little unaware. And just because we're making ourselves suffer doesn't mean to say we're all bad. It's just because we're unaware. So one of the reasons why we we find it difficult to let go, why letting go doesn't happen, is just the uh, unfortunate habit of, of unawareness or ignorance and you know, blaming. We don't actually see that we're doing this clinging. We don't see that it's something we're actively performing when we think that somebody else is doing it to us. Another reason can be that um, the force of habit, the momentum of habit, like if we've been hanging on to something for a long time or resisting, either, either hanging on by way of indulging in some particular habit or hanging on by way of avoiding some particular habit, and if it's been going on for a very long time, there's just a momentum built up. There's a momentum to this holding on to the habit of doing whatever it is we're doing that we want to let go of. And even when we, even if we see through it, even if we actually see, oh yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. You know, when I have that experience, then my mind goes off and goes like that. And I just got to stop that. I just we see it. We just got to stop. But there's the momentum caught up in it, and and if it's a momentum, for instance, of of denying something or avoiding something that's making us suffer, then as soon as we, we you know, the first time we open up to it, it's like it's like opening it's like opening a door to a room you haven't been in for a very long time, and it can smell really bad. I mean, really bad. And you just I don't want to go in there, you know. Just, but you know, well, it's your house, and it's, it's it's a room in your house, and it's only a matter of time. I mean, if you didn't go in there, one guest, some guest's going to go in there one day, and they'll, well, you've got a problem. <laughs> the reality is, actually, we do have a problem, or certainly we have a bit of difficulty anyway. There's something we, we haven't looked at for a long time. and So you say, well, the least you've got to do is go in there and open the window up and get some air in. And, and, uh, and it can smell really bad. And it, but we've got to trust that, you know, well, it's, it's the only reason it smells bad is because it hasn't, you know, nobody's been in here for a long time. It's not been aired out for a long time. And you just open the windows and you see the extent of the mess in there, the filth and the mess and the grime. And, you know, it's like one of those student flats. You know how students treat their kitchen sometimes. They're really, you know, they can be really disgusting. <laughs> Fat all over the floor and filth. You know, well, sometimes we have rooms like that in our inner world that need a little cleaning. And when we first open up the door and we see, it looks like a huge task we've got ahead of us. And 
So with some of the things that we need to let go of, it, it can it can feel like that. It's like this is just too much. And the reason it feels that way though is because we've avoided it. We've put all this energy into avoiding something for a long time. So we've got to be very careful to just not assume that the way it looks is how it really is. I mean, it can be daunting when we start to open up some of these rooms and, and get to see things and discover dimensions of ourselves. As meditation de- deepens, you, you start to see see dimensions of yourself that you just never even suspected existed. Or sometimes just with, with getting a little older or being under some kind of pressure, whether it's external pressure or health pressure. We get in touch with things that you know, we maybe sensed were there but never really saw the extent of. You think, my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? This is just so much. Well, the reason it seems so much is just because we've put so much energy into avoiding it. And, and at that stage, we do just be very, very careful and, and not assume the way it looks is the way it really is. And just be patient. And so sometimes we have to endure a lot for a long time before some of this momentum can wear out. It's like the momentum of clinging has created this apparent reality of this is just too much. I can't cope with this and I can't ever let go of this. Well, don't be so sure. Letting go will happen. Letting go is something that happens. It's not something we do. In our our practice, what's called for in practice is to be patient and to bear with things and to be honest with ourselves and and wait until these things actually fall away. We don't, we don't have to get rid of these things. These things will fall away when we see the reality, when we actually see that we're doing the suffering, when we see that we're, it's, it's, we're the ones that are actually creating this pain, then automatically it'll, it'll happen, we'll stop doing it. But before we can get to that point of actually seeing it, sometimes we've got to bear with it for quite a long while and, and, and wear out, literally wear out or burn out the momentum of avoidance or denial or the habit of indulgence for that matter. Whatever it is, the accumulated momentum, sometimes we've just got to endure with it for a long period of time until then one day, much to our surprise, you know, we're still doing the same old practice that we've been doing for goodness knows how long and then up comes the trigger but we see it differently. You know, whether it's some sort of temptation to get angry or get greedy or get afraid, whatever, suddenly we see it in a way whereby it doesn't get us. We don't get had by it. You know, we can see it. It's like we've got a handle on it. Oh, at last I've got a handle on it. And it's not so much that we've done anything different. or so what did I do that made it this made it appear differently? And well, Basically, we just wore out the karma. We wore out the consequence of our past tendencies or habits of indulgence or avoidance. You know? So, before some of our tendencies that need to be let go of can be let go of, sometimes we just have to bear with them for a long time until the past karma is worn out to make it workable. And until we've actually been through such an experience, we don't know this is the case. We just see the enormity of it and we can easily be fooled. And, and this is, of course, the... Uh, we're sometimes good friends who have uh, walked the path a little longer or a little further than we have can uh, can quite wisely and sensibly point out, well, you know, just just wait a while before you decide you're doing the wrong thing, and just you know, just stay with it for a while, and maybe it'll change. And of course, it does change with time. Another reason that uh, letting go doesn't happen 
is that sometimes our habits of clinging to various experiences or impressions or ideas or feelings sometimes these habits of clinging become the structures of our own sense of who we are in other words we get our identity our identity is based on habits and it's irrational on one level because although we're doing something that that may be you know really self-destructive and it may be better to let go of some old resentment or some old fear that we have and just drop it and go into it and look at it fairly and squarely and and, and, and face it even though that might be the right thing to do yeah. we're not able to really let go of our habit of clinging because it's become part of who and what we are and it's beyond the rational mind and so if we put ourselves into practice and with some determination and enthusiasm and we really contemplate what we're stuck on and, and how we're really wise and useful and skillful to just be able to let go of, of that and stop doing this clinging business and what comes up though e- even with that degree of contemplation can come a real fear a tremendous fear can come up and often this happens for people in on meditation retreat and part of what I'm talking about is because we've just had a, a group of people staying with us for the last week on formal retreat strict silence and everybody was very committed to their practice and, and and saw some real benefit from it but it was all good hard work it wasn't just having a nice holiday it was good hard work and and for some people that good hard work means actually uh, encountering the fear that comes up with a sense of loss of identity the practice will as we intensify attention and turn the light of awareness inwards it will dissolve that which is false it will take us towards eventually little by little letting go of that which is false within us that's how practice works it's like you know, when the sun shines and the rain falls there are seeds in the ground that will grow you know, some of them are beautiful and some of them are weeds it's just like that's in their nature to grow I remember in Thailand uh, you know, it'd be the fields would be absolutely parched and dry and dead and there's just nothing there it looks so dead and the earth is cracked and baked hard and, and then the rains come and the sun shine and, and then it starts going green and the next thing you know there's all these plants coming up and there's all these little critters there's even fish swimming in there how on earth did these fish get there? How did fish get there? I mean, there's no river that flooded or anything. And there's no underground river. They were just somehow they were in there. You know, I don't know, eggs or something. There's something there anyway. And when the sun comes, when the causes are there, the sun and the rain, then life expresses itself. That's its nature. That's just how it is. <clears throat> Whether we like it or not, that's how it is. And so it is with the practice. If we exercise restraint and practice mindfulness and concentration then the false things that we've been hanging on to will start to dissolve and will start to fall away but then we will start to feel afraid as we start to feel a sense of insecurity and a certain loss of of uh, safety and loss of predictability and not really knowing who we are anymore 
when encountering such fear. Again, if we're not properly prepared and properly supported, we can misinterpret it. We can think, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I don't know about you, but I, I still find it very difficult when I encounter fear to not assume that something's going wrong. You know, somebody's doing something wrong, and usually it must be me. There's nothing around me that's making me afraid, so there must be something I've done or doing wrong. Well, that's not necessarily the case, and it's wise to prepare ourselves in advance to just to withhold our judgment and our evaluation of the situation, just say, well, maybe it's not like that at all. Just bear with it and and wait. And maybe we come to see that that this fear is actually what in Buddhist terminology is, is understood as one of the one of the defences of Mara. The closer you get to Mara, the more antsy Mara gets. I mean Mara gets really annoyed when you start practicing with sincerity. It's apparently what happens is Mara's seat hots up. And the more dedicated and committed a meditator gets in seeing through their delusion, the hotter Mara's seat gets and apparently starts getting really really miffed with this. You know, and, and then he'll send down his hordes. And so we've got this, this painting down the back of the Dhamma Hall here. The hordes of Mara are trying to have a go at the Buddha because the Buddha was obviously totally passionately committed to his practice and dedicated towards realization, purification and generating benefit for all sentient beings and, and nothing upsets Mara even more. And so all these monsters came and tried all their tricks to frighten the Buddha. And fortunately for us and for the Buddha, didn't none of it worked. The Buddha was adequately prepared and strong enough in his resolve, both those factors, whereby he was able to stay true to his determination. And eventually the hordes of Mara saw that they were making a mistake and they backed off. And you can see on the left-hand side of the painting there all the arrows that uh, they were firing towards the Buddha. As soon as they get close to the Buddha, they just turn into flowers. And so once the hordes of Mara start seeing the error of their ways, they start offering up flowers and asking for forgiveness. Well, as a as a metaphor for what happens in our minds, it's, it's, it's very suitable that as we strengthen our resolve and determination to see beyond our habits, to, to let go of that which is false, to let go of our addictions and our, the false energy that we're feeding on and the false identities that we're, you know, we're, we're holding to and, and to trust in real reality, to allow compassion, to allow natural sensitivity, love, clarity, wisdom, to grow without all our attachments and manipulations. The more determined we are to follow our hearts longing to realize truth, well then the more likely it is we are going to encounter fear, fear of loss, fear of, fear of losing our friends often happens in practice. Fear of losing our sanity often happens. The fear of losing our friends is a, you know, it's a quite natural when you Sometimes you do lose your friends when you practice, and you become less interesting. Not going out drinking anymore, and not spending so much money on nice clothes, and getting your hair done nicely. The more you practice, you see all these things are kind of fairly superficial, really. There's nothing immoral about them, but they're not exactly the most important things in life. 
just disinclined to invest in, in these kind of concerns. And, and so some friends do fall away. And, and if you live in a monastery, like you join a monastery, like the Anagarikas coming here, probably some of them have still got some lots of friends out there who contact them. But you know, once you come and do something like this, shave your head and get around looking like this, you, your friends, you know, as nice as they might be, they a lot of them just tend to not get in touch anymore. And, and uh, you can start feeling, oh, I'm going to lose all my friends. And, and that can strike up a very deep fear, the fear of abandonment and being left alone. And then if you're ordained as a novice or as a monk and you, you don't have any money, you don't have an insurance policy, and you think the fear can come up, I'm going to be all alone and, and then old and nobody will want me, nobody will like me, I won't have any friends, no money, I'll get sick and I'll be abandoned and just end up in the gutter. It's a derelict, hopeless case, wasted my life. So it actually can strike up real terror in the heart. Or the fear of losing your sanity. If you get serious enough about practice and, and, and just keep focused and energetic in one's effort and practice, or you know, some of the old mainstays of, of your sense of identity can become dissolved and, and then you start you know, having kind of strange ideas about yourself and about life and, you know, although I've never quite fallen for the idea. I, I know some people who, who've actually thought they were enlightened. Now that's a crazy thought to have. And if you have such a thought, I'm enlightened or I'm a, I'm a sotapanna and, and then you see yourself having such a thought or you think, maybe I'm going mad. And just the, the thought, maybe I'm going mad, if we've never inquired into that thought before, it, it, as most of us don't, it, it can trigger off a, a real fear. And fear of going mad is the result of actually, you know, actually being holding on to the idea that we're not mad, holding on to the idea that we're sane. We don't really, really know who and what we are. We just hold on to ideas about who and what we are. And as we practice more, these ideas fall away and then the fear comes up and we, most of us avoid the fear of going crazy because it's so unsettling and when you see crazy people it's so unsettling and disturbing that the majority of people will look away from it and, and so we're not familiar with that fear in ourselves but when the fear comes up maybe I'm going to go crazy well it, uh, it can be very challenging and, and it literally threatens our sense of who and what we are it threatens our sense of who and what we are. It doesn't really threaten who and what we are. It threatens our sense of who and what we are. It threatens our familiar feeling of who and what we are. I'm a normal bloke. I'm an average chap. I'm a decent sort of guy. And then you go on some retreat and the next thing, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm not any of these things anymore. I'm going to end up in a psychiatric hospital any time. They'll be giving me shock treatment and I'll be on medication for the rest of my life. And well, that's what the mind can do if we've not, if we're not ready, if we don't have haven't prepared ourselves with mindfulness and a willingness to bear with difficulties, and they appear in the mind. This old habit of of wanting to know who we are, wanting to have a clear idea about who and what we are, wanting to have a clear feeling: I'm okay, I'm safe. Well, if we have such habits and we don't want to actually look at them, well, you know, that's, that's basically where our practice stops. We don't get past that point. However, if we're committed to practice, well, then 
we don't have to believe that we're going crazy we don't have to believe that we're actually threatened we don't have to believe that we're going to lose all our friends but the way it appears to be is just the way it appears to be with mindfulness we can allow it to appear to be that way feeling of loneliness when it comes up the way it appears to be loneliness is I'm always going to feel like this I'm always going to feel lonely, unloved, unwanted for the rest of my life if not this life for eternity and if I stay as a monk and put up with this miserable feeling of loneliness maybe I'll get reborn in my next life and I'll be another miserable lonely monk for another life and another life and, and for eternity and that's the fear when we get lost in a state of fear it feels like eternity and that's why people do talk about hell being eternal of course that's ridiculous no conditioned phenomena can be eternal it's, it's, it defies all logic if there is a hell and probably there is it's not a it's not a permanent condition but when we get stuck when we get locked into fear it feels like I'm going to be lonely forever or I'm going to be full of resentment forever and we can't let go of these things if we're committed to our habits of holding however if we do little by little gradually prepare ourselves and practice regularly in a sensitive mindful way well then the strength of mindfulness is what sustains us in a situation like that these apparent realities like the pain of loneliness can be received doesn't make it feel anything other than lonely doesn't make it feel anything other than unpleasant or disappointment disappointment always feels disappointing but the way we relate to it feels different that's what changes so the question of you know, I know I should let go but you know, how can I do it well it's not a matter of certainly not a matter of saying I should let go and trying to make ourselves let go but rather turning our awareness around and intelligently and carefully considering say, well, what is the experience of holding on do I really want to hold on do I really want to hold on because mm. part of us doesn't want to hold on and if we can connect with that well that's one condition for letting go to happen and also to consider, you know, why am I holding on to things? What am I, what am I getting off this? What am I getting out of holding on to this? You know, some of the, some of the reasons we're holding on to things are thoroughly uninspected, worn-out old ideas. You know, we hold on to things for things that are not relevant anymore. So instead of idealizing and saying, "Well, I should let go," I would encourage people to consider the experience of holding on of not being able to let go and to feel it to feel it directly without any resentment or idealizing just to feel it and also to consider how and why we're hanging on when we look at it long enough well then it's my experience my conviction that little by little the momentum of letting go happens and as we start to feel our way into this way of letting go letting go is not something I do letting go is what happens for these causes when these causes are there then letting go happens when we get a feeling for that 
then our faith in the path of practice of letting go increases and strengthens, which in and of itself is a condition for further letting go. So thank you very much for your attention, Steve. <coughs> Thank you.